Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. My name is Christopher Harris. And I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnayar. Normally on a, a normal podcast that we do, we cover everything from uh, talking about the uh, television coverage, uh, streaming coverage, as well as uh, our favorite matches we've watched, favorite commentators. But uh, we thought it'd be a great opportunity here, a great time to go ahead and do a deep dive on a brand new series that's out there. It's been out for a few weeks now, but still uh, many of us are kind of catching up and watching these episodes of Welcome to Wrexham, which is a documentary series that's running on FX, uh, also available through Hulu on streaming. And uh, Kartik, I, 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 I know I've been loving this one, but um, what about you? And, and what's different about this one that, than some of the other documentaries that we've seen? Well, I think that there's more of an emphasis on the ownership and the community than there have been in other documentaries, which have been uh, largely based around... Okay, so the QPR documentary that I love, Four Year Plan, which is now dated, right? It was made in, uh, after the 2010-2011 season. That, um, that documentary focuses heavily on the ownership, which made it more interesting than uh, documentaries that just focus on players and coaches. Uh, but the more recent documentary series we've had in this sport... The Juventus one, the Borussia Dortmund one, the Arsenal, Spurs, Manchester City, they've all been based around coaches, it seems like, more than anything. And uh, maybe to a lesser extent, uh, players and constant um, focuses on matches, right, and results of matches, and then fallout from results of matches. This, uh, granted, you know, we, we do have uh, episode two, which focuses heavily on failing to qual- um to make the promotion playoffs, uh, the, the half season, the first half season that uh, Reynolds and McElhaney had bought the team, and, um, and, and then the fallout from that. But it's much more about the community and about what Wrexham AFC means to the fans in that community, to the community itself, how important uh, the, the, uh, the club is as an institution and how it defines Wrexham. And I don't think we've seen a documentary series, uh, Chris, quite like this in terms of that scope, uh, yet uh, at least available to us in the United States. Yeah, so the the two things that interest me the most, and we'll get into this uh, a little bit later in the podcast, uh, in terms of uh, Welcome to Wrexham, are promotion relegation, and then also the accessibility of games or lack of accessibility of, of these games, if you want to watch them, if you're a fan in the United States, or, or just somebody who's interested or curious about this, uh, we'll get into that in a little while. But, but going back to that ownership model, 
and then the community aspect, the two things you mentioned, Kartik, that you're really interested in. I, I mean, as an aside, I think it's really interesting in this one where um, the more episodes I watch, uh, I'm more really pleased with, with uh, Rob uh, McElhenney in terms of he's the driving force in this. And it, and it seems that, I don't know, so far, like Ryan, Re- Ryan Reynolds doesn't seem to know much or he cares for sure. I mean, he's invested. Um, but Rob's the one that kind of wears the, kind of the the heart on his, on his sleeve and, and seems to be more um, really focused on on um, he, he seems to have more soccer knowledge than Ryan Reynolds. So far, I'm waiting for Ryan Reynolds for, for something ha- to happen where I'm like, OK, wow, he gets it. He understands it. However, whether he gets it or understands it, it doesn't matter because the, the two of them together uh, in terms of uh, the ownership model, I think it's pretty intriguing. Uh, and I don't think we've seen any, anything like this before. I mean, as far as two celebrities going in and buying a club. But what about you, Kartik? What, what, what for you makes this different? What, what's, why is ownership so important in terms of this one? Yeah, I, I, I completely, yeah, I completely agree on the, uh, the McElhaney-Reynolds dynamic. I think uh, clearly uh, Reynolds is, um, he's, kind of invested, but I think it's like a secondary project for him. Whereas I think McElhenney, maybe being the bigger sports fan to begin with, right? He talks about his fandom for the Philadelphia Eagles in the very first show. I think uh, McElhaney is the guy from my perspective that's driving this, right? He's the guy who's invested emotionally uh, and uh, maybe the financial investment is the same between the two of them, but I, I I really am enjoying seeing him as an American um, celebrity slash American sports fan really take to promotion and relegation, as you mentioned, and the nuts and bolts of managing uh, or owning a football club in the lower divisions of uh, the English slash Welsh pyramid, and his uh, desire to put the best people in the job that understand the local community and understand football uh, in England and Wales, I- including you know the the, the absolute uh, maniacal way he went by getting Phil Parkinson as a manager, right? Uh, the commitment and dedication he showed to that. I think most other owners would just give up in that situation, move on to the next target. Yeah, if uh, any, for anyone who hasn't listened to the interview that uh, Kyle did, Kyle Fansler did with uh, Humphrey Kerr, who's the uh, executive director at Wrexham, uh, definitely go back and listen to it in our last last episode. A couple of things that do jump out at that from that episode are that um, it was Rob uh, McElhenney who was working with uh, Humphrey Kerr. Uh, I mean, they're both I mean, actors, comedians, writers, uh, working on the show Mythic Quest, which is on uh, Apple TV. It's actually a very good series, very funny. And it's um, the two of them were talking kind of like off camera. And oftentimes Humphrey Kerr would be watching a soccer game, watching Liverpool or uh, just consumed with Liverpool. And Rob was interested by this. He was kind of curious about this. Um, and then um, Humphrey Kerr, uh, encouraged um, Rob to go ahead and watch Sunderland Till I Die from Netflix. And as soon as Rob saw that, he was completely, he was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. This is crazy. Um, and, and that was, and then from there, discussions happened about uh, trying to acquire a club in England. 
Uh, and Humphrey mentions in the interview that uh, they had eight clubs that they were looking at as potential clubs, and they rated each one of them based on a whole bunch of different criteria. Uh, community was was part of that um, um, kind of algorithm that they came up with, and ultimately they decided on, on Wrexham. And then it was Ryan Reynolds that came in to uh, say, like, hey, I, not only am I interested in uh, sponsoring the team or working together with you, but I want to be in on that ownership model. I want to be in on that. I want to be a kind of a co-owner. And and I think this is interesting, Kartik, too, because um, this this flips the script. Sunderland Till I Die is one of the best soccer documentaries I, I think ever made. I mean, probably not the best, but one of the best. Um, but that was most mostly focused on relegation, seeing a club that was previously in the Premier League and going down the ladder. Here's an opportunity to flip the script and have Sunderland Till I Die. But this is Wrexham Till I Live, which is, uh, you mean, from, from the fifth tier, seeing them going up the, the ladder. And what's unique about this, I mean, it may not, it may, you mean, maybe they'll, st- they'll be stuck in the National League for many seasons uh, in the future. Probably not, but maybe. But what's different on this one is is that it is televised. It, it, it is, you mean, uh, this cameras wherever they go. So we will see, we'll, we will experience what it's like to go up the table rather than with Sunderland where it's, it's going down the table, which is the agony. Uh, there's definitely agony with with uh, trying to get promoted too, but I just think it's a really unique story and the way that they're going about it. Uh, I I just love it. Yeah, I agree, and I think for me, um, the most compelling aspect of this is seeing the town. Uh, Wrexham's, and, and to be honest with you, I remember Wrexham getting relegated out of the football league. I didn't realize it now has been well now uh, present day, but. Uh, Obviously, the documentary starts uh, a year and a half ago, but present day, it's been 15 years since that relegation. And I'm here thinking that uh, the situation at Stockport, uh, who, uh, no spoilers, uh, but uh, I guess about the series if you haven't watched it yet. But Stockport is a club that I I have a soft spot for. I, I basically support. I'll admit since they've been out of the football league, I have not followed them as closely as I used to. In fact, I don't follow them closely at all. I just check their results. I used to know the Stockport players. I used to follow Stockport really kind of as my second club uh, behind Manchester City. But Stockport had been in the football league for over 100 years, dropped out, and has been out now uh, as this documentary is being made for 10 years. And I think that's particularly tragic. I should tell you, though, Chris, uh, as an aside, as we talk about this, watching the documentary with my wife, who's not a football fan, although if she was pinned down to ask what club she likes, she'd say she likes West Ham because she's an EastEnders fan, and uh, they're constantly talking about uh, West Ham on EastEnders. I'm watching the documentary with her. There is an episode where Wrexham plays Stockport, and Stockport wins, and I'm excited. And she's mad at me (laughs) while we're watching the documentary. Uh, and then I, I reminded her, she, re- she had forgotten this, that, hey, you know, remember, Stockport's a club I used to, uh, I used to keep an eye on. I had even, in the early days of iFollow, uh, was it iFollow then or whatever uh, uh, package the Football League offered? I actually bought it one year um, to get Stockport games, and then that was the year they were relegated from the Football League, so uh, 10 or 12 years ago. But, yeah, um, so it's creating this attachment, I think, for neutrals who are watching it to support um, 
support uh, Wrexham. Also, I should mention my wife is from Philadelphia. She loves It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Rob McElhaney is someone she, she, she uh, adores. So that it, he's actually the connection for her, whereas I think for most people – Ryan Reynolds is the bigger name, right? He's the guy yeah. everybody seemed to know, including me. But for her, it's actually McElhaney and the Philadelphia connection, which which is kind of cool, also. Yeah, the the, fun, the funny thing is too is that uh, my wife has also been watching this series with me. Uh, I don't think every single episode, but she's definitely sat sat down and watched it. And that's the thing too. I mean, the the attraction of having having a Ryan Reynolds and uh, a Robert McElhenney uh, doing this together, where it's two um, very noticeable, visible celebrities, very engaging, very, very, uh, very fun to watch and listen to. They're, you know, they definitely have their comedic side. Um, it makes it very, very, I guess, what's the word? Very mainstream. It, it's, it's, not a, it's not a mainstream story by any means in terms of I mean, two uh, Hollywood celebrities uh, buying a fifth tier club um that's not sexy but perhaps having the the host is sexy and, and the story of them trying to go up the ladder but the other thing about this too is that um i think the way that they've filmed it has been really well done it's not condescending to me as a soccer fan uh so when they do have descriptions of you mean the the welsh word for whatever it may be and the english word uh you mean, i don't know pitch like something as simple as a field, you mean, and uh, English people would call it pitch, and then in Welsh it would be uh, kai. You mean it's not condescending because it's also translating it into Welsh. But um, the the way it's set up, I think in many ways, Kartik, I had a revelation the other night. I was think, thinking about this a little bit, and I was thinking to myself, this is actually set up better than Sunderland Till I Die. Sunderland Till I Die um, seemed longer. I don't know, these episodes go by so quickly. It's, what, less than 30 minutes each episode. Uh, we're about almost halfway through season one. Um, but I think it's really well done, really, I guess, um, approachable. It's it's something that, that it's easy to watch, it's entertaining, and it's interesting to watch at the same time. And, and I think the ownership model, I, from from my memory, I can't think of anyone else who's gone in to buy a club celebrities uh and filmed it this is seems to be kind of the first that i can think of yeah i i don't remember a situation like this before where we've had celebrities go in but this is part of um part of the dynamic of the documentaries you have these two celebrities and it's like i think ryan reynolds is very loosey-goosey i'm not saying he doesn't care but he, he, but he has a more humorous outlook, and, and there's the, the, the fun side of it. McElhaney now is like any uh, owner uh, who, who, who has bought a club, not because they're looking at it as an investment, but because they're looking at it as a passion. And he's, mm-hmm. he, he's living and dying, it feels like. Now, again, we've only seen six episodes. Season one is 15 episodes. Uh, but six episodes in, uh, Chris, I, I feel like he's, he's how we picture – uh, name another owner that was like that with a club. I, I, I know that there are a few. They're, they're escaping me now. But that were so impulsively um, connected to their club that, that they were riding the wave every match day. Um, several owners like that in the past. But they tend to be local owners, right? They tend to not be celebrity owners. So that's what yeah. makes this very uh, celebrity owners from across the Atlantic, which makes this very, very unique. At the heart of this, though, at the heart of this uh, buyout of, of Wrexham and 
everything that they do seems to be focused on the community. So they're very, very conscious of making sure they're making all the right moves, making sure that they're uh, in discussions with the, the Wrexham Trust, the supporters, making sure this is the right decision, not only for them as owners, but also for, for the town and, and the club. And this this part of it, I think, is the part that is the most endearing about Welcome to Wrexham, which is the whole community aspect. So you get to hear interviews and, and see interviews with the pub owner, um, the volunteer who is who then becomes in charge of the uh, disability program for um, for the, those disabled wanting to get access into the stadium and, and set that up, um, so on and so forth. Even the players, the players part of that, I think is really fascinating, Kartik, to me, is actually seeing where the players live. I mean, it's a fifth tier. It is professional. Um, but seeing them, whether it's the one house where five of them are rooming together or just uh, the families, um, there are so many endearing characters in this story. And and it's not characters as in actors. These are people that have lived and, and loved Wrexham for, for their lives, all of, all of their lives. Um, either, either, I mean, there's so, there's so many mem- memories too. I'm thinking of the, uh, what the table of three women who have been Wrexham po- supporters for for decades, uh, going through all of the the history of this club where it almost went went bankrupt, almost went went out of existence, and them raising money, passing around the hat, trying to do things on a volunteer basis. This this to me is what separates this even more so than Sunderland Till I Die. Sunderland Till I Die, we got a little bit of that. Kind of the kind of the away supporters, or uh, watching the uh, the supporter listening to it on the radio, but you didn't get to get as much of a feel for what this means to the community uh, as we do with uh, Welcome to Wrexham. Yeah, I agree with that, and I also think a really important aspect of the club's history is discussed in episode. It was either episode five or episode six. I can't remember, but where. They talked about the previous ownership that wanted, because it's prime real estate, right? There's no land. And this is the case with a lot of historic English football grounds, that the race course was uh, eyed for redevelopment. And there was a shady scheme to move the, move, move, move the, uh, to transfer the ground away from the club and put it in the hands of a development company uh, that uh, uh, got exposed. And, and I think they did such a great job of going back and getting the film, the footage from that era, and putting it together, but that was um, that was something that you that that has plagued so many lower division clubs in England in recent years. And heck, I that's I, I that specific type of situation is why Bury uh, went out went under, right? Um, in, in in my mm-hmm. opinion, and there's not and why Bolton was passed passed around and almost went out of business. Bolton, of course was a Premier League club uh, for much of their existence, is uh, for much of the Premier League era, and was a, is a club that has spent uh, more th- seasons in the top flight of English football than any other that has not won a title. Um, that record used to be held by Leicester until a few seasons ago. Now it's held by Bolton. Uh, but Bolton almost went out of business, what, what is it now, three years ago? Uh, it's 2022, 2019, because of similar circumstances. So I think that that is a really important story that was told that maybe... A lot of the audience didn't quite grasp how how close that is to happening in many many cases. 
And in the case of Wrexham, as you said, uh, the ladies were talking about, those three ladies, they passed around the hat, they raised money, the supporters trust uh, took over the club, they saved the club, but of course, like most clubs, we saw this with Pompey also, we've seen it with, uh, with other clubs um, in, in England, the supporters trust can only be a stopgap to run a club. Um, they never really... Uh, Wimbledon's a great story, but I think that's an exception. They can never really be um, the primary owners long term if you want, if you have a certain level of ambition. Yeah, I think in many ways this uh, series is the perfect storm. It has a little bit of everything in it. It has the, I mean, uh, I mean, a club almost going out of business, a club with a a long history. Um, some some memorable uh, days beating Arsenal in the FA Cup. Um, I mean, being in kind of the um, usually more of a Championship club uh, in terms of that, that second division tier level, but also third third division, fourth division, etc. Um, also, the, the fan base. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things in here. I think I think for this series so far, what we're missing. Uh, and and no spoilers, please, Kartik. But what we're missing is, is that success on the pitch, uh, and hopefully, ultimately, that will come. Uh, hopefully, in that uh, it, it's well deserved that they earn it, which they, you have to. It's it's not easy uh, to get out of uh, the national league, as as they mentioned. Uh, it's a really tough tough league with a lot of teams in there that have uh, that they're strong. They're, they're I mean, teams uh, well known teams with, with good squads. But uh, overall, though, I think it's uh, it's got a little bit of everything in this, and and I guess the other, that's the other part of it too is that uh, this give, this shines a light on a story for a lot of Americans and and you know, soccer fans around the world on what it's what life is like at a fifth tier club. This is not, you mean, with a championship with Sunderland, right? And you mean Premier League and Sunderland. It felt like Sunderland was still in the Premier League in terms of the. Uh, the training facilities, the stadium, the players that they had, the managers. That was something we're very familiar with in terms of seeing clubs operate at that level. What we're not used to is seeing a fifth tier and what that means in terms of a lot of volunteer staff, um, the gym. Let's see. <laughs> you mean like um, most uh, apartment complexes, uh, you mean anywhere in the United States, have a better gym than what Wrexham has in, in their stadium. Um, so, so it gives us a kind of an understanding of that fifth tier and, and what life is like. And, and actually, if anything, if Wrexham's in terms of facilities, uh, would be much greater, much better than, than most fifth tier teams in terms of what they have, uh, with a stadium, which is like what the home of the, uh, the oldest international, uh, stadium in the, in the world in terms of playing international, uh, football that's still, you I mean, it's Wrexham's only stadium. Uh, and hopefully will always be their stadium. But yeah, there, there's, so, there's so much to this uh, documentary that is just really eye-opening uh, for me. And I'm looking forward to every episode uh, before it comes out, for sure. The other aspect about this, Kartik, and I've kind of touched upon this too a little bit, is um, the whole promotion relegation. And with Sunderland Till I, Til I Die, which is really a relegation story and going through the agony and, and just the pain and, and depression of going down the ladder. Um, you, mean, you see kind of the anguish and pain on people's faces. This one is, is, is hope, you mean, for Wrexham, is that, of course, they've gone down the ladder. And like you said, too, it's been 15 years um, since they got uh, into the fifth tier. 
Uh, it doesn't seem that long. It seems like it's maybe like five or 10 years, but 15 years, that's a lo- very long time. Uh, however, there's always the hope of, of promotion and what that brings. And I'm not sure if you saw this from a, a few weeks ago, but uh, one of the reporters from The Athletic uh, did an interview with uh, Ryan Reynolds and, and, and Rob. And the first question out of his mouth or the first thing he mentioned uh, in the interview is ProRel is obviously a non-starter in this country. And when he says this country, he means the United States. And to me, I was like, when I heard that, I'm like, it made me stop. And like, what? Did he just say that? Is that is that really what he said? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, how do you start off an interview uh, about a series that's talking about where promotion relegation is definitely uh, a big factor, which is probably one of the reasons why now that we've uh, interviewed Humphrey Kerr, uh, one of the reasons why Rob uh, went ahead and bought the club uh, with Ryan uh, with the hope of moving the, the team up, up the ladder. Uh, the United States, is, of course, is a different country. But did you see that, Kartik, in terms of uh, that interview? And, and, and what's your thoughts about that? Is, is ProRel obviously a non-starter in this country? I, I did not see the interview. Uh, I did see um, an interview the two of them did with GQ, which was kind of cool, where they were doing trivia um, based on uh, based on Wrexham, right? And uh, McElhaney won, right? It was a contest between the two of them. I think he won 10 to 7 or something. Uh, although Reynolds knew more about the, the club and the town than I thought, uh, given on the documentary, it seems like McElhaney is a driving force. Uh, but uh, Rob McElhaney knows the town cold now. Like, even trivia questions about the town he was able to get. Uh, in terms of ProRel, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I know that that's the, the narrative among uh, conventional American sports media. Um, they, um, they have some sort of uh, uh, aversion to even the conversation and there is an acceptance of a model of, uh, of, of, of sport in this country which um, is, is kind of insulated from competition, competition from outside and competition within. And owners who make investments like that, and you always have these American uh, fans and, and media come back at, at people like me who advocate promotion and relegation and say, well, look at how successful these American sports leagues are commercially. Look at how successful these American sports leagues are from a business standpoint. Um, okay, that's one aspect of it, but I, I, I would argue that uh, you could be even more successful, uh, particularly in this sport, which is a global sport, if you open up your system and you're part of a global marketplace rather than just a domestic marketplace or, or a limited marketplace in what, how ProRel, pro how a close league works. And then secondly, I think this is most important, um, for communities like Wrexham, the equivalent of Wrexham in the United States, the equivalent of v- v- Villarreal in the United States uh, or Canada, those cities would not have first division clubs in this sport or in other American professional sports. They'd have AAA, a triple-A baseball team or a double-A baseball team. Wrexham's case, they'd have a single-A baseball team. So there's no, you cannot, you're put in sort of a, uh, a, 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 a whole, uh, a, a, it's like a class system, right? You're put in uh, the, 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 the bottom of the barrel in the class system. Right, in a tier lower system. class. Yeah, you're a lower class or you're middle class or you're upper class or whatever, and you can't, you can't move one way or another once you're in the American system. So it's a system that also um, 
prefers major cities and major metropolitan areas. So you could never have a club like Burnley stay as long as they did in the top flight uh, until last season, right? They, they would never be able to. Blackburn Rovers obviously won a title. We know Jack Walker came in. We know that story. But that, that's not possible in closed league uh, American sports because it's not just that the leagues are closed. It's that the leagues then uh, gravitate to only the biggest metropolitan areas and only the biggest cities. So if you're in Omaha, you're out of luck. If you're in Des Moines, you're out of luck. If you're in Fort Myers here in Florida, you're out of luck. You have to drive to Fort Lauderdale or Miami to see professional sports, Tampa or Orlando to see professional sports. And, that, and that's uh, our top flight to professional sports. That's really not fair. Yeah, the attraction that uh, made Rob uh, McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds uh, acquire Wrexham, the attraction was promotion relegation, is to buy a club and invest in that club, which they have done already uh, through through players and, and facilities, and, and they've got some big plans. But the attraction for them is to go ahead and create a success story, create a Cinderella, Cinderella story where you can take something and hopefully, uh, with investment and, and uh, sporting merit, see that team succeed. Now, the attraction for viewers watching Welcome to Wrexham is living that dream, is is seeing that, and and it's in, in both the uh, the ownership side and in the viewership side in terms of uh, uh, Ryan and Rob uh, and us, the viewers. The attraction is promotion relegation. It's it's a concept that is foreign. To most Americans, that's what attracts us to the story uh, at the heart of it. Uh, and, and yes, there's the community aspect, there's the ownership model, uh, there's the characters and, and, and everything involved in this and, and the great production. Um, but the most, the number one attraction is how unique it is, that the whole concept of promotion relegation. So, I, and I'm sure for, for, for Rob, when he was probably watching Sunderland Till I Die, and then maybe learning about or getting understanding the concept of promotion relegation was such a, a foreign um, uh, idea that like, wow, you can actually buy a club uh, at a lower level and see them rise to the top. And, and, and sometimes teams, teams also fall, right, T- from, from the top to the bottom. But that is the risk and reward. That is the sporting merit. And, and that's what um, attracts us to this game. Um, without that, it's it's very sterile. It, it is like like you said too. Uh, if you're living in a city or living in in a town, really a large town uh, in the United States that's not in a big TV market, uh, and your hopes of having your local team um, be a big box office draw, playing in in the top league, that's effectively at this point in time. I mean, is is it's never going to happen. Um, so you can't live the dream. So you mean so, but going back to what the athletic said, and and if I was the reporter, I'd be, or if I was the athletic, I'd be embarrassed by this question. But him starting off the conversation by saying pro rel is obviously a non-starter in this country. Don Garber must have been like kind of jumping up, saying like, "Wow, he 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 did that better than I could have done in terms of uh, you mean defining that promotion relegation will never happen in this country." By doing that, you're basically saying that you give up. Uh, it's a self uh, fulfilling prophecy that uh, promotion relegation will never happen in this country. Kartik, what's what's the chances of you mean? So what we saw in England, uh, 1992 or the early 90s. 
um, Sky Sports and uh, well, B Sky B, a lot of kind of the the mega companies in terms of uh, TV viewership, and 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 the clubs at the time were very upset in terms of they thought that the game wasn't uh, run as as effectively as it could have been. Um, and they weren't making as much money. At the end, they they formed a breakaway league um, that became the the Premier League in 1992. In the United States, I mean, is there any possibility you think in terms of in the future of a, a breakaway league being formed, where you have investors coming into this country and saying like, hey, let's go ahead and and take the current. Uh, well, actually, let's, let's go ahead and create a new model that's going to be uh, bigger and better after t- the 2026 World Cup, where we're going to have some teams, we're going to have promotion relegation, we're going to set this up to really succeed in this country, where people in the United States are going to watch this and be attracted to this, rather than watching soccer from overseas. Is, is that a pipe dream? Or, or is, I mean, is there something to that? Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It, it, it could happen, but it would have to come from outside, as you're stating. It would never happen from American investors because... Uh, the closed league system, I think, is, is, is cooked in, baked into high-level investment in the United States. You can get uh, le- uh, investors who, who have less in, in the way of resources that are, that are interested in um, promotion and relegation. In fact, I, I mean, I've dealt with a lot of them. I've tried to get promotion and relegation going in this country, as have many other people. But um, the high-end investors tend to be... Uh, and I know this is going to create all kinds of uh, anger uh, when I say it, but they tend to be very risk averse in the U.S., and um, so they won't do it. And so, so this is going to have to come from outside. So, what about um, the U.S. Soccer Federation, Kartik? Because uh, we know you know uh, you know, of course, and, and, and our listeners know this too, because we've reported on this for over the last couple of years, but uh, the big divide happened, which is a big deal within U.S. soccer. But but in terms of U.S. soccer and MLS working together on the TV rights deals, if you wanted to go ahead and have the rights to MH League soccer, um, or if you wanted the rights to U.S. soccer, U.S. men and women, 
Major League Soccer is, is automatically included in that rights package. There wasn't a way to separate it. But now where we're at is that um, those rights have been separated. So MLS, as we know, uh, sold their rights separately. U.S. soccer sold their rights separately, too. So there is a divide there. They're not working together as they were before, which is a big deal. If uh, if U.S. soccer said, hey, you know what, we can go ahead and we feel that we can set up a, a soccer league, a breakaway soccer league, uh, and then we, U.S. soccer, can go ahead and profit from this and maybe take some outside uh, investors from overseas um, and form something. Is there anything there or, or does U.S. soccer maybe not have the desire uh, to go ahead and do something like that, Kartik? They don't have the desire to go ahead and do something like that. We'll just... Well, they, they they are probably as big a problem as Major League Soccer. I think Major League Soccer, well, now MLS is a bigger problem, right? But I think if MLS had not been uh, aided and abetted by the Federation and there hadn't been these, uh, these, these people in the Federation who uh, – who were very hostile to promotion and relegation, let's say in 2004, 2005, that period, time period when MLS was struggling. And at the time, USL, which was the second division, USL 1, as it was called then, uh, not, it's now the equivalent of the USL championship, uh, had Seattle, had Vancouver, had Rochester, had uh, a team in Toronto, uh, had uh, uh, Portland, had all these kind of uh, big places that ended up being uh, the teams got directly pulled into MLS, Montreal Impact also. Uh, then at NASL, we had a similar situation, right? Uh, there was an open hostility, and, and NASL, we had Montreal, Vancouver, and, uh, and, and Minnesota who, uh, um, who went to MLS. Vancouver never played formally in our league, but they had uh, affiliated with us and would have played in our league if they hadn't gone to MLS. Uh, now, uh, you, but at that period, you, you, you had a will for it, uh, and I think MLS in a, as a business was in a bad place and maybe would have been open to it, but the Federation didn't want it, and the Federation fought it, even though they'll claim uh, they were agnostic or, or um, whatever. They, they were almost uh, like an absentee landlord that wanted leagues to get predatory with one another. So MLS coming in and taking USL teams, taking NASL teams, then USL turning around and taking NPSL teams. Uh, or NASL and USL uh, poaching off of one another. It was more on USL's end poaching. But uh, all of that has been encouraged by the U.S. Soccer Federation, which has created a, uh, a, a, an atmosphere of uh, de- uh, not only destabilized, but an atmosphere where leagues are predatory, and the Federation doesn't serve as a partner with other soccer entities in this country, but as an absentee landlord that does... Uh, uh, sanctioning, but then when they want to stop something, they come in as a gatekeeper. So one day they're an absentee landlord, the next day they're the gatekeeper, blocking progress. So, uh, yeah, I, I, U.S. Soccer Federation is responsible for the situation we're in, in this country, more than any other entity, including Major League Soccer. Yeah, so so going back to the uh, the series, Welcome to Wrexham, um, the one thing I find in- interesting, Kartik, about this is that uh, this is a, it's almost like a time warp. So you and I know what happened last season for Wrexham. However, if you're watching the series and it's you mean usually two episodes every week, um, the time period that these things are happening is a year ago. So you're going back 12 months. And for, for the most part, even if you're a hardcore soccer fan, it's impossible to stay on top of every club. And you probably uh, may not know what happened to Wrexham last season. And no spoilers again. 
we you you will find out pretty soon um i just think that that's interesting in terms of that but the other part of it too is that um uh, and, and this was mentioned in the interview with uh, Humphrey Kerr, um, where Kyle Fansler was talking about this. And, and it's one of those things that um, the National League, if you want to watch those games and you're outside of uh, the UK, or even if you're inside the UK, it's really, really difficult. There's no legal way to go ahead and watch these games. So in some ways, that's actually a, a, an advantage because uh, it doesn't spoil, for the most part, um, the enjoyment of watching Welcome to Wrexham because most people watching these episodes uh, don't know what happens next. Um, so the suspense part is is kept there intact. And I think in some ways that uh, if these games were more accessible and you could go ahead and watch Wrexham games week in, week out, um, in some ways, to a tiny degree, it would spoil Welcome to Wrexham. So I think, yes, it's it's great that um, Ryan Reynolds especially was very vocal on Twitter, pushing uh, the National League, saying this is ridiculous. Um, we want to ha- we want to grow our uh, team, our club, our brand, uh, you know, worldwide, and it's ridiculous that um, we cannot that no one can go ahead and watch these ge- these games legally unless you're actually at the stadium. It's also um, uh, partly BT's fault. Right. Yeah, and BT Sports, who are uh, the rights holders to the National League, uh, and I believe have a kind of a wrap-up show, kind of a like a, a highlight show that uh, has footage from these different games. Um, but it, it's it, it is funny though too, because I mean, obviously, it's it'd be great for Wrexham to get this coverage, uh, to have people be able to watch games week in week out. Um, but then, but then, if they do get promoted, I mean, if they do go uh, through the league system, it's going to be quite a while before you can actually watch Wrexham games. Even then, though, too. I mean, for me, as a fan of the championship, or as a fan of a club that's in the championship, uh, yes, I can watch every single game, but I have to pay over two hundred dollars a season uh, for the rights to be able to or have access to subscribe to watch these games the home and away. Uh, I guess for I follow, this could be huge for I follow if Wrexham uh, moves up through the ladders through through I mean, League One, League Two, etc. Um, however, I just kind of think it's it's interesting that uh, we can't watch those games. Ha- have you watched any any of the the coverage on YouTube, Kartik, for, from Wrexham? Because uh, their coverage is really good in terms of highlights, package, interviews, etc. Um, yeah, I have, and, and and it's really well done. And, but again, most clubs don't have the resources in the National League to do that. So in order to grow the sport, you have to be willing to put uh, the, the effort and resources in at that level. And this is part of my issue with the Premier League in general, right? I mean, I know there are a lot of people who, who want pro-rel in the United States who argue with me about the Premier League and say, ah, isn't that great? Isn't England the model? Well, no, it's not the model because... Uh, and we're continuing to this day, uh, even last week. There, uh, I think it's all been all the acrimony's been put aside because of uh, uh, the death of the Queen. But uh, there's there is an, a live dispute going on in how much money should the Premier League put into grassroots football and into the football league below them. And um, the system in England was very different before 1992, right? Now, I'm not saying that it needs to be completely egalitarian like it was before 1992, because clearly that system wasn't of great, wasn't of, it didn't allow Manchester United, Liverpool, the five clubs that led the uh, Premier League breakaway, Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Everton, and uh, Spurs, Spurs were the fifth club, 
it didn't allow them to leverage their brands globally the way they wanted to. Um, and obviously, three of those brands, uh, Arsenal, Liverpool, and Manchester United, became absolutely huge globally after the Premier League breakaway. So I understand that and I respect that. But at the same time, I think that there's, uh, as a result, been a lack of investment, particularly in League One, League Two, and um, the, 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 the National League. Um, as they're now known, as they're, as they're now called. So um, Wrexham does a great job with that production, with that package, but most uh, clubs at that level don't have the ability or resources to do that, or the expertise, right? Wrexham clearly have an expertise in, in media and, and, and broadcast. I wouldn't be surprised, Kartik, if in the next say, 12 months we see a bunch of people walking around the streets of the United States wearing Wrexham shirts. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it it could be that kind of a, the hipster connection, but also could be something to where fans feel that they're a, a part of a team, or this could be a team that could be their the second team or the third team that they support. I mean, they might support a team in the Premier League, they might support a team in Serie A or Major League Soccer, or wherever it may be. Uh, and Wrexham is is a, a team that they have a soft spot for. Um, the other the interesting thing too, I think about this series, Kartik. Uh, I, I want to get your take on this too is the subtitles uh i'm dead against it <laughs> i think it's crazy they're speaking english and the subtitles are on the bottom of the screen and they choose which subtitles to show and which ones not to show because sometimes it could be somebody that's i mean the person that's in charge of the the, the wrexham uh, supporters trust uh, i don't think he has um, subtitles but some of the other guys do but I get it, though, too, because I think um, my wife and, and uh, daughter, who have been watching some of the, the, the shows, too, uh, like to have the subtitles on anyway when, it, when they're watching, no matter what it is. Uh, and I'm sure there's times where they can't understand what they're saying, but by reading it, it definitely uh, completes the circle. What about uh, at the Krishnaya house, Kartik? What's the feeling there? Yeah, like I said, my wife watches EastEnders, so she understands the Cockney accent, which is a, a kind of a gateway to understanding all these other accents. Yeah, I don't, I don't care for the subtitles. I don't mind having them, I guess. I didn't think that deeply about it, but we, I, I'm listening, right? I, I, I guess the subtitles, they enhance it, but if, I didn't notice the selectivity that you noticed. I don't like that. Um, I've noticed that, too, when I watch programs where either people from Scotland are interviewed or people from India are interviewed. So I, I watched uh, British-made documentaries of India where some Indians, their subtitles, they're all speaking in English, but some Indians, their subtitles, some there aren't, depending on the, the, the depth or severity or, or whatever, however you want to say it, the harshness um, of the accent. And same thing with, with Scots. I've seen lots of programs where, so, um, although actually with Scots generally, I do see subtitles because maybe for American audiences and so, even some English audiences, it's very, um, it's very, it's difficult for them to understand. But I, um, I, I picked up where I understand all of these accents pretty well: the Irish accent, the Scottish accent, uh, Australian, New, Ze uh, New Zealand accent, uh, Canadian accent, right? Um, even various uh, dialects within the United States, right? There are um, there are different dialects. Um, American English is not uniform, believe it or not. <laughs> Some people uh, may not realize that. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't like because I, I don't either. You do it universally, or you don't do it at all. Yeah, welcome to Wrexham. Uh, I, I've noticed lots of pr promotion 
So in terms of watching, whether it's Premier League matches or other content or other programming, um, I'm seeing a lot of ads for Welcome to Wrexham on television, which is a good sign. I just wonder, as an aside, like what uh, what everyone in the uh, MLS headquarters are thinking when they see that, because you I mean it's it's uh, it's something that um, asks a question, like, well, why doesn't uh, this exist in, in U.S. soccer? And you have that to a certain degree too with Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso is not a story of promotion and relegation, but that is one of the threads in the story. Uh, and I'm sure there's probably, some, again, some Americans going like, okay, you I mean, even Ted Lasso, I think in some of the episodes, there's promotion relegation. Wow, you can actually get relegated d- down the ladder. Like, that that's crazy. Like, you mean, who thought that was a good idea type of thing? Um, what about the music, though, Kartik? Uh, what about uh, the, the intro, the openings? Uh, and any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I'm a big Buddy Holly fan. So I, I love that they're using every day uh, as the theme to welcome to Wrexham. And I think it's doing, uh, it's getting you in the mood, right? It's a very sentimental song. Um, it's in a way a little bit of a tearjerker because we know that Buddy Holly then died in a plane crash soon after that song was released. Uh, but it's, well, uh, some of us know that. I guess a lot of people don't know that. But um, it, it, it gets you in, in the mood and the tone for this kind of sentimental uh, Welsh town where the football club means so much to them. And, and I think it sets the tone uh, brilliantly, and uh, um, and as 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 I said, as you said, actually, a lot of it is prompted by uh, the fact that uh, McElhaney had had uh, had watched football with, with while he's producing programs, and uh, and had watched Sunderland until I die, and so there's there's that element of it too. And there was in Sunderland until I die. One thing they did a very good job of was showing the. Uh, the volunteers, the ticket takers, the people in the town, how they interact with the football club. I don't think they quite got into the depth of what the, the club necessarily meant to individuals in the town, the way uh, Welcome to Wrexham has done so far through six episodes. But um, it is very much kind of a combination of, uh, of all of the things. And, and here's the other thing. I know for a lot of people watching, they haven't worked in a football club or they haven't worked in a football league. I've done both, so for me, the the, the, the uh, documentary is even better than maybe it is for a lay fan who just wants to see football and uh, might might like listening to Miguel Mikel Arteta's team talks and Pep Guardiola's team talks in the Amazon series. You know, I after one or two of those, I got I checked out um, the Mourinho one. The Spurs one was more interesting just because it's Mourinho, right? And we know how his personality is. But I, I that doesn't excite me the way seeing a club operated uh, and the relationship between a club and a town is. But I understand some people may be different. They may like the Arsenal documentary series better than they like this. I guess to each their own. Yeah, it's funny, Kartik. If you went back, say, uh, 15 years ago, which we would have been, you and I would have been doing the podcast back then, uh, or variations of it, or you were writing for um, what was then EPL Talk, later became World Soccer Talk. But 15 years ago, if you said to me, Kartik, either on the podcast or in written form, that I predict in, in, in roughly 15 years that uh, three of the most popular shows on television um, – in terms of soccer would be uh, the trilogy of Sunderland Till I Die, which is vastly very, very popular on Netflix. Um, Ted Lasso on Apple TV, one of the most popular success stories that Apple TV has had. And now on FX, which is a major 
um, network, you mean, and um, it's on FX, it's on Hulu in the United States, it's on Disney Plus in Europe. But uh, and then uh, welcome to Wrexham. Fifteen years ago, if you made that prediction, um, you mean what? Pe- what would have people have said back then? Oh, it would have been crazy. I mean, it is ironic. It's fifteen years because um, the summer of two thousand seven, I remember very well, being uh, the summer that Ebbs Fleet United began uh, taking, uh, looking for uh, uh, members, club members in the U.S. And I, I, I signed up uh, to being part of that football club. And, uh, and it was just a very niche thing. Sunderland, you mentioned specifically, uh, Jonathan Wilson had read, uh, written a book about Sunderland that I think was finished that summer that I ended up reading soon thereafter uh, that, that had got me intrigued in the history of that club. Now, it didn't make me a supporter of that club. I was already supporting Manchester City at that point. And as I've said on this podcast, I had uh, I, my second club was Stockport. Nowadays, my second club would probably be Queen's Park Rangers. But... Um, that's a, that's a different story. Um, but it's funny because then Sunderland becomes a household thing 10 years later when the Netflix series comes out after that Jonathan Wilson book. Jonathan Wilson book chronicles them returning to the Premier League. The Netflix series chronicles them falling out of the Premier League. But that shows how much the popularity of the Premier League specifically changed from 2007 to 2017 when Netflix did that series. Then you talk about the Wrexham thing 15 years later. Yeah, that's pretty unbelievable because the Ebbs Fleet United um, thing was a very niche um, U.S. Uh, a, a niche thing in the U.S. And then in terms of Ted Lasso, I think that that's, uh, that to me is the, is the most unbelievable thing because quite honestly, I know maybe – you felt differently than I did. I always felt like I was isolated as a, as a fan of English football in the United States. No one cared about it, right? No one knew about it. I still believe that even after NBC elevated the, uh, the, 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 the scope and scale of Premier League coverage in this country when they got the rights in 2013, I've, I've used that character right away, right? Ted Lasso was, uh, was a big part of their initial promotional campaign when uh, the Premier League rights went to NBC Sports in, in the summer of 2013. Uh, but the runaway success of that and the general awareness of the Premier League now among people who don't even watch the league, don't like soccer, don't follow soccer, is, is, is unbelievable. It's like the Premier League has become, uh, what do we have, uh, uh, four major professional sports leagues in the country outside of soccer and then uh, college sports and golf. It's like the Premier League is now in that conversation with all of those those things, whereas it never was before. And it it, and it really uh, it, it was getting there, but I think the show has put it over the top. So one last question, Kartik, and, and this will be our, our final one of this episode. But imagine though, if you're a TV producer and and you said to somebody who who comes up with pitches and ideas. And uh, you were supposed to, as the TV um, idea person, go go to the producer and pitch a story. But pitch a story about American soccer. What angle, what story, what thing, what concepts would be intriguing to a TV producer about American soccer? Is there a, is there anything within American soccer that would be a story that that's worth telling that would be as successful as Sunderland Till I Die, Ted Lasso? It, and uh, welcome to Rexham. Well, ultimately, it's blocked by the fact you don't have promotion and relegation. But I think the story of Detroit City 
uh, of Chattanooga of some lower division clubs where there have been major supporter involvement, supporter uh, own, own clubs, or Chattanooga has floated, uh, it, it has, has, has floated and, allow, and allowed uh, 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 people to buy a piece of the club. Those sorts of things are, um, are, are good stories to tell. And maybe another really good story to tell is how soccer has really grown uh, on the grassroots level in these smaller towns uh, around the country and how you get fanatical support in places like Kingston, New York. But uh, which is, by the way, you know, the Hudson Valley, places like that. Uh, th th those people in Kingston don't have to drive to New York City to, en to enjoy a local club playing uh, good high-level football in their community. Uh, but Kingston, um, uh, the, 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 the stockade, stockade FC can never be promoted uh, in this system up the ladder, which is a which is a big bugaboo, right? I mean, it would, imagine having Stockade play in the same league as a team from New York City or a team from Albany or or, or, or some sort of rivalry like that. So um, that's uh, ultimately what holds it back. So Chris, if we were to tell a story like I'm pitching uh, to a television executive, ultimately it would be, okay, here is the grassroots enthusiasm, here's the grassroots energy, but... You can never have a Wrexham story or a Sunderland story, ultimately, because there's no promotion and relegation. So that's the problem. So you're telling a story that's similar, but then there's a cap on how good the story can be and how the story can evolve from season to season. Yeah, there's there's no treasure um, at the end of the journey on on that one, right? It, it kind of it does hit hit a a roadblock, a dead end. And then the story ends, and, unless, and then it's like, okay, well... I, I mean, the only exception would be unless you get an investor. So Nashville, uh, I'll, be, I'll, I'll be frank about this. So this is maybe uh, something that does sort of debunk my theory, but then at the same time, it confirms it. Um, Nashville was a supporter's own club, right? It was a supporter-driven effort. It was a club that was started by supporters that then uh, kept, as they changed leagues and they moved up the ladder, they had to attract investors. And then eventually the supporters were not part of the, the ownership and management structure anymore, and now they're at MLS. So it can happen in a way you could get one of these non-league clubs, which is what Nashville started out as. It, they started out as an NPSL club uh, run by supporters and climbed the ladder. Then they went to, uh, to PDL. Then they went to uh, USL. Then they end up in MLS. But along the way, you have to make these compromises where it can't happen really organically. So... Um, I mean, I guess if there's one club you want to chronicle that climbs the ladder, it would be that one. But the reason they were able to climb the ladder is they got outside investment. And, and eventually the people who started the club don't run the club anymore. They might go to games, but that's it. The story that I want to, uh, that I would pitch is a story that's already been pitched and it's, it still isn't out. It's still, I've heard nothing about it in quite a long time, but that's the story about uh, Chuck Bladder. And uh, what happened with him and his life story and all the corruption and what people knew and, and the inside deals that were done uh, within FIFA and CONCACAF. And it was supposed to be starring uh, Will Ferrell. Uh, it was supposed to be a, an HBO movie. Uh, I think Ben Affleck was producing it. And that's been a few years now, and we haven't heard anything more about that. So, I mean, it's based on a really good book. But, but in terms of the, the motion picture or, or a TV series... It hasn't appeared yet, but that would be my, my pitch. So there you go. 
I think you just nailed it. So I gave all these kind of long explanations as to uh, U.S. Soccer Federation, why we don't have ProRail, uh, et cetera, et cetera, the, the rationalization and justification by American sports journalists. Chuck Blazer. There you go. I mean, if Chuck Blazer yeah. doesn't have the influence in FIFA, ultimately, that he had, I think maybe the, the, the system looks very different. In a good way or a bad way? Oh, in a, in a positive way. If he's not around, then I, I think the U.S. has to build a system like the rest of the world. They don't get to take these shortcuts. They don't get this pr protected status that uh, they've gotten. Effectively, there's one set of rules in this sport for every other nation in the world, and there's a different set of rules for the United States. And that's because of Chuck Blazer and because of the influence he occurred within the FIFA, larger FIFA community. And convincing FIFA, I, and we know how corrupt FIFA is, convincing FIFA that there was more money to be made in the United States uh, because it is the, the greatest captive consumer market in the world. We know this. Uh, more money to, made in the, to be made in the United States than, uh, than in other places, which is true. So let's take all these shortcuts. Let's, uh, let, let's, let, let's do it differently here. Protect us, and then we'll make sure you're rich also. And that's what happened. In, 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 that's, a, that's a very 30-second summary of, of a 30-year, of a, of a 40-year story. Uh, and uh, there's many more layers to it, but that's kind of the simple takeaway. I, I, I think I did a Freudian slip there, Kartik. I, I think I called him Chuck Blatter, yeah. <laughs> which, uh, which tells you a lot that, right that, there. That's appropriate. Just that's, <laughs> that you're you're, th you're thinking the same thing. I think all of us are thinking. <laughs> all right, let's end it there. But uh, listeners, if you do have any uh, feedback or any questions um, about Welcome to Wrexham or, or anything about television, streaming, uh, etc., definitely get in touch with us. Uh, you can reach us uh, through email, which is web at worldsoccertalk.com, uh, facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. You can leave us a message there. Uh, you can also tweet us uh, at worldsoccertalk. And also post uh, your comments on the website at worldsoccertalk.com in the podcast thread. And we'd love to read those out in future episodes. Last but not least, you can also leave an audio voicemail uh, at 561-247-4625. And uh, on behalf of Kartik and I and the World Soccer Talk crew, thank you for listening. And Kartik, uh, heading into another week of soccer, what are you going to do and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.